Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin, founder of Noor Human Consulting. Eid Mubarak, everybody. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our efforts and multiply our deeds. Oh my God, having coffee just made me go, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. <laughs> MashaAllah. Got a special episode for you here today. I will be interviewing as well as being interviewed by a couple of members of the Noor team. Noor is the organization that I founded nearly 10 years ago. For those of you that don't know, we provide spiritual counseling, mental health education and coaching, and practical tools to achieve your personal relationship and family goals. What makes Noor unique? Well, first off, Noor in Arabic means light, vision, illumination, and we're really all about helping each and every one of you become the best human that you are meant to be. Our motto is think brilliant, feel brighter, and do better. Visit NoorHuman.com to learn more and take advantage of our limited time Eid promotion. We're offering exceptional rates if you sign up today. Don't fall back into old habits after Ramadan. Keep your spiritual and personal growth going and we are ready and dedicated to help you do so. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks again for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. Enjoy your coffee, everybody. Do you guys have some burning questions for me? I really want to ask you. <laughs> are, are you scared of being interviewed? <laughs> so my question has to do a little bit with your childhood. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker once. It's hilarious. It said, oh God, save me from your followers. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good one. Say you're listening to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. But you're you're listening, listening to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, Sister Hella. Welcome, Sister Jaylan. Welcome, Sister Monique. These are the team providers of Nude Human Consulting. We're going to learn more about these lovely ladies today, personally and professionally, and maybe you will find that they're going to be a great fit for your needs. Sister Hella, let's start with you. You were the first to join Nude a couple of years back. How has the experience been for you? The experience has been wonderfully fulfilling for me, um, both personally and professionally, because Prior to this experience, I, I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. And so this provided a much needed passion added to my life. MashaAllah. And what would you say, Sister Hella, is your main uh, specialty or niche? What kind of journeys or cases do you feel most confident in thriving? So far, um, after a few years of doing this, I realized that my, my niche would be women new moms, relationships, and primarily emotional intelligence where you try to figure out where you want to go in life, like an action plan about where it is, setting your priorities. And you're a mom yourself, I hope. Yes, I am a mom myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't know about you ladies, but you know, you know, when once in a while you'll go to a khutbah and it's like a 20-year-old young man giving a khutbah about parenting and the guy's not even married and never changed a diaper. I'm like, bro... I love you for the sake of Allah, but step aside, bro. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my passion has to do with things I can relate to. Of course. Well, that's smart. Sister Jaylan, thank you so much for joining us today. T, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Sister Jaylan, and what is it that you are bringing to the table? Oh, well, thanks, Karim, for having us. I'm really excited about being a part of Noor's team. So basically, I work with parents who have young kids, and my main focus is to try to help parents take the overwhelm out of daily parenting. I really feel that being a parent, and this was I felt this way before I became a parent myself, I'm a parent to two young kids now, but I really feel like being a parent is one of our biggest, you know, it's the biggest project, it's the biggest investment someone can make in their life, yet it's the thing we... Um, educate ourselves the least on and we just say we're going to wing it and give it a try after we've after we're winging marriage by the way too usually <laughs> exactly exactly that's very true um, and I think we're just brought up in this in these cultures all over the world and I have a very multicultural family and you know I've seen how people raise their kids all over the world and for some reason we you know if someone's 
wants to learn to cook or wants to have a hobby, they go to a course, go to a class, ask a professional, even ask around someone they know is of knowledge. But when it comes to parenting, we just don't do that. Somehow along the way, we've lost that culture of learning from other people when it comes to being a parent. And so um, I think it was like, must have been 12 years ago, I was working at a preschool and I realized that parents were asking me all these questions and they were all asking me the same questions. And I had gone through such a rigorous uh, process to be able to become, uh, you know, be able to work with the kids and understand them and take in all these classes myself. But these parents all had the same questions and I was answering them and I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, first of all, preschool isn't just about playing, you know, with Play-Doh and coloring and changing kids' diapers and that sort of thing. It's really a science to this. And on the other hand, it's like, okay, these parents, no one's really told them what to do and they all have the same questions. As And the more I had these experiences, the more I, re I realized, shouldn't we be helping these parents feel, you know, have the same information that we enforce on teachers and other professionals when parents are the most influential probably part of a child's life. So that's basically what I do. <laughs> and quick, quick fact check. So you studied um, child development, correct? And is it true that the first two years is most of the bedrock of the neurological channels that are formed in a human being? Hence why it's so important to, you know, recognize there is an art and a science to, you know, early childhood development. Yes, totally. I have a, a certificate in early childhood education and a master's in child and family studies. And definitely there's a lot of research that shows that the first two to three years, not only are the base for the neurological development and brain development of a child, but also the base of the pattern of relationship a child has to their attachment figure. So like their parents, usually in the first early years, that's sets the pattern like if you look at young kids who are who are super active or difficult to put to bed or have these issues and they're labeled difficult even as babies it's very it's very hard then uh, for the child to shake that label off so really in the first two to three years there's a lot that's been set in terms of development relationships and patterns and attachment between a parent and their child MashaAllah, thank you so much for that. I'd like to ask a couple of fun questions so that the audience can get to know everybody a bit more personally. Question number one, Sister Hela, this is coming at you, dear. If you could have any superhero power, which one would you want and why? I love that question. I would choose to have the power of invisibility. I would choose to have an invisibility cloak anywhere, uh, basically with me at all times. And the reason for that is because sometimes there are some occasions where you want to just be a fly on the wall and you want to be in a room where something's going on. So for me personally, I've always been curious with how humans resolve conflict. So I would love to be in a room with different groups of people, either different couples or different like friends, different siblings, family members, and just watch and learn how people resolve conflict. And so that's one reason. Another reason, a personal reason of mine. So this is like more of a professional kind of thing to learn for myself and also to pass along my knowledge. And then the personal reason would be because sometimes I, don't, I just don't want to be around anyone. I want to be alone somewhere. I want to just contemplate and think. And I don't want people to know where I, where I am. So the invisibility cloak will help with that. <laughs> Definitely will. You know, your response reminded me a lot of your, uh, perhaps your Gottman training. You did a certificate in Gottman and couples. And one of the things Gottman mentions in his research is by observing how couples resolve conflict, he could have, you know, predict more accurately the sustainability of that marriage. And he's got his stats on that, like what, 70 or 80% predictability by just knowing how people have conflicts. Did that kind of influence your response there? Sure. I mean, Gottman training was absolutely eye-opening for me. I mean, like reading the statistics and reading his books, he has a book called Seven Principles of How to Make a Marriage Work. And also he has another book where, and baby makes three. So like, it also talks about like new parent, like, um, like not just the couple, but how the dynamic of the couple changes with a new baby in tow. So, I mean, I mean, Definitely, it influenced me and definitely it's helped me through my coaching of couples and, and women and 
and just even in my personal life as well. Sister Monique, if you could have any superhero power, which one and why? Um, I think I would choose the power to heal, but there would need to be limitations on that, you know, like a give and take. Um, So so the more difficult the injury that they have, you know, the more it would take out of me. Um, So there needs to be that balance. And uh, the other one that I had kind of went back and forth was was the ability to read minds, because you could definitely help if you could really get into someone's mind that way. But at the same time, there's a lot of issues that come along if you could do that. So I think I would have to pick the power to heal over the ability to read minds. MashaAllah. So let me ask you this. Do you want to heal like medical illnesses or do you want to have the ability to heal like diseases of the heart in accordance to, let's say, Islamic psychology, like spiritual diseases? Or is it all under the same healing power? You know, I would say it it all comes under the same healing power. But if I had to pick a focus, you know, it it would be that that inner, that Islamic psychology, that, you know, the spiritual self and the heart and the illnesses of the heart. And one of the things that you like to write on in your blog, check out Monique Hassan's blog today, is is the cross-section of Islam and psychology and healing and well-being. And I wanted to also ask you, why did you also add this kind of qualifier of, I want this power only if there was a balance or an exchange where I myself would become depleted as a result. Can you tell us why you brought that point up? You know, I, I feel like in life, there's always this give and take. Um, you know, we're supposed to be this moderate nation. And all of that to me speaks about having that balance and a level of accountability. You know, you can't just be able to, you know, go around and using your superpower without something that's pulling you back, something that makes you think, am I going too far with this? You know, and something that just keeps you humble as well. You know, because it's too easy. If you give someone a superpower, that might start to get to their head a little bit. You need something that humbles you and reminds you, hey, you know, this power isn't from you. MashaAllah, Sister Jaylen, if you could have any superhero power, which one would you choose and why? So first of all, I love Monique's, <laughs> I love Monique's answer because it's so giving. But my, what I thought about was um, I would love the ability to go uh, back in space and time, uh, but not to be able to go forward in time. I would love to be able to travel back in time for personal reasons to see like my ancestors, my great grandparents who I didn't get a chance to meet and other family members who are no longer with us. So I would really love that to see sort of the family history and where it comes from. And for other reasons, I would just love to see, I love reading uh, historical fiction and history books And so I would really just love to be at some situations um, and see them firsthand, because I think over the years, there are a lot of historical issues and historical uh, stories have been changed and morphed. And, you know, with storytelling, things change a little bit. So I would love to just see some things for myself and just see how life was like at certain points for myself and be able to talk to people. But I really don't want to go forward in time because I just think that spoils the fun of life (laughs) and knowing what things are going to be like, then what's the point of then coming back to my current time and living it? SubhanAllah, it's like the same thing that makes us anxious and afraid, i.e. the unknown of the future and what we can't fully control or predict, is also the very thing that gives life flavor, perhaps. Yes, I mean, that's so true, because I really thought about first, I thought, it would be amazing to travel in time. And then I thought, do I really want to go forward and know things that are going to happen? First of all, with the good things and the surprise, you know, is taken away. Uh, and the joy of experiencing things for the first time is taken away. But also with things that are sort of more fearful, you then have this anticipation and anxiety and you, because you're waiting for them to happen. And that's subhanAllah is like, that's why none of us know when our end is coming. That's a lot of mercy from Allah to, you know, for us in our lives. Um, but then we all we know about previous history and other cultures history and that we feel that's normal. So yeah, that's a super superhero power that I would like. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. So very much aligned also with your, 
your family specialty. You want to use it to also meet family, meet ancestors. I was thinking about how I'd love to just spend an hour in Medina staring at the Prophet ﷺ. I think that would give me some something to work with for <laughs> a year or two, you know, mashallah, just to be able to see him. ﷺ. May Allah make us from those people. Ameen, Ya Rabbi. Ameen. Let's ask one more and we'll close out our fun question round. So the last question I wanted to ask everybody. Sister Hela, what's one value or teaching about Islam that you always felt was speaking to you? Um, perhaps a principle or a virtue. What was one of the things that always just made you gun-ho, so to speak, about being Muslima? So, um, is it okay if I answer two? <laughs> yeah, I know I know it's so hard to choose. There's just an ocean to choose from. So you gotta I'm asking you to put it into a cup. I know it's hard. So yeah, I'll give you two. Thank you for thank you for being so gracious. <laughs> so I choose um first I choose the the pursuit of knowledge, seeking knowledge and always asking questions, but like at the same time remaining humble and knowing that you can't know everything there is to know. It's like seeking the knowledge, but then not being too frustrated with knowing that us ourselves as human beings, our brains are only limited in capacity to a certain point. Like anyone who says, I know everything there is to know, I'm fine, whatever. Like I refuse to accept that. I know that there's always something more to know, but at the same time, knowing that there's a limitation. So that along the lines of being kind and compassionate, both with ourselves and with other people, regardless of how they treat us. Right. No, that's a great point because on the one hand, you're, you're teaching us here a very paradoxical truth, which is found in every religion and every you know solid philosophy, world wisdom, which is, I know that I don't know. And so therefore, I want to keep seeking knowledge and knowing that as the more I learn, the more I'll also discover what I'm also ignorant in even though I'm also learning more. So the idea of I already know everything, I don't need any more growth, I don't need any more ideas or interpretations or whatever, that's basically a shadow of arrogance because you're basically saying my knowledge is now complete. But that's absurd. Every human being, is, there's always going to be stuff you're ignorant about. And even Allah tells us in the Quran, that there's only so much of his knowledge that he gave us anyways, or that we're going to have access to anyways. So Allah's already telling us up front, you're never going to know everything. And what you can even access and know, nobody down there, meaning humans or jinn, are going to have all knowledge that is accessible. So that's what you're reminding us of here, it sounds like. Yeah. And taking, taking that into coaching is so fascinating because human beings are so vast in their thoughts and in their the way they live live their lives. And it's like there's nothing about the human life that's formulaic. Everyone is so different. And, 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 and like seeking that knowledge is also like goes hand in hand with my personality trait of being curious, just naturally curious. And asking all these questions to all these clients or, or people that I coach are just it just drives me more and more and more into that realm. You know what I mean? Totally. I mean, one of the first, um, pr you know, phases of anybody who works with the Noor team, ladies and gentlemen, is we try to understand your story first and foremost. And what we mean by that is how do you make meaning of yourself, of your life, of your experiences, of your relationships, because it all starts there. What if the meaning I have is very distorted or it's, you know, highly influenced by negative, you know, ideas or beliefs or, you know, painful experiences? One of the jobs of enhancing in one's well-being is to sort through all that. How I make meaning of things, how do I approach uh, my challenges, and sometimes the key concepts and skills that I have aren't really solid enough to over, overcome some of these things. And that's why we tend to find ourselves stuck, perhaps, in certain uh, phases in our life. What are your thoughts about that, Hed? I absolutely 100% agree. Because, you know, in, with things like this, we have to know where we stand first. Like, in my coach, when I took my coaching certificate from um, NYU... Before becoming a coach for other people, you have to, like, know yourself as best as possible. You know, know your hot spots, know, know, know what drives you, know what, know, know what doesn't drive you. Um, just to filter and sift through the things for yourself prior to helping other people. So like emotional intelligence, for example, to help identify what it is the person in front of you is, is, is going through. And like, you know, the four quadrants of emotional intelligence, which is like more detailed stuff you can find on my blog later. But the, the prior 
the prior knowledge to that is knowing yourself. Like it, they, they sit you down and they train you and they make you ask yourself questions and they're challenging questions because you think, sometimes you think you know yourself, but actually you're discovering new things about yourself all depending on the questions that you pose. It's, 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 it's humbling. It's really humbling. And I'm, I'm like, it's, it's like a never ending journey. And this is what's fascinating. Sometimes you you don't get the right answers because you're not asking the right questions. Yes. And sometimes what, what answer you have right now is not the same answer you're going to have five years later from now. Right. Right. We're ever evolving selves and creatures. Subhanallah. Sister Monique. What's one value or teaching about Islam that you always felt was speaking to you? You know, something that I feel this is very important um, and for everybody is, is gratitude. And, and it's seen, you know, throughout the Quran, it talks about it. Um, you know, in Surah 13, I 12, we were told whoever is grateful is grateful for the benefit of himself, you know, his own soul. This is, it's a benefit to us, you know, in terms of our mental health and our spiritual health. Um, but, you know, I, I look at it from this perspective too, even if, you know, someone has had something very difficult that happened to them. Uh, maybe they went through some trauma or, you know, something that was a hardship. If you really have that that grateful mentality, which is, you know, it's a lifestyle, really, and it's an attitude. It's not just saying thank you. It's really meaning it. If you have that, then even for the hardships, you know, you'll, you'll say, Alhamdulillah, this is the will of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and, you know, you can roll with it. it. It makes the difficult easier and the easier feel even better. MashaAllah. Gratitude is the soul's way of smiling. Yes. Attitude, gratitude. That's the way to live. I, I strongly agree. Attitude, gratitude. Yep. Why do, why, so that's so important because even if you have, quote unquote, everything you want, but your attitude's still not grateful, you're not going to be happy and not going to be fulfilled. That's why it's not about more stuff or more external objects. Happiness and gratitude is about something that you have to generate within your own soul and heart and mind, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some people you'll see, it's almost like if you imagine this metaphorical hole inside of us, like we want to fill it, we want to put something in there. And, you know, if for some people it might be career, some people it's money. But if you try to make your faith the center of that, you know, you find that you're so much more grateful and, and things become so much more easier. And from a personal perspective, you know, even um, I have some traumas in my background. Alhamdulillah, I'm grateful for them. I think it makes me a better coach and it makes me better in this field because I can empathize. So even when it's difficult, there might be a purpose behind it that we can't see at the time. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sister Monique. Jay Len, what's one value or teaching about Islam that you've always felt was speaking to you? Uh, well, the value I chose, I was in between two, uh, between uh, amena, honesty, and rido, uh, which is, I think, contentment is the closest translation to that. It goes hand in hand with what Monique was saying about gratitude. Uh, I did choose contentment and rido because that really spoke to me in my life. Um, I would say... My mom, um, Allahumma, was a very good example of someone who had a lot of ups and downs in life, but always had contentment. And it just, I really saw firsthand how that can completely make your life just more peaceful, no matter what life throws at you. Um, and I, like when I was in my teenage years, I didn't like anything that was going on. I had no contentment <laughs> at all. You know, you always want things to go your way. And so I've been on both sides of that. And since, um, let's say, when I was 20 or somewhere in my 20s, I decided to really work on having contentment in my daily life. Um, and I think it's, an, it's, it's a daily practice. That's something we have to work on every day because there's always something that we want. There's always something that doesn't go our way. There's always hardships in life. And I really feel that, especially when it comes to parents, is that they're always looking, a lot of parents, including myself at some point, when my youngest was a baby, when my oldest, sorry, was a baby, and we're always looking for the next phase, like, oh, it'll be easier when he sleeps through the night, or it'll be easier when he can feed himself, or it'll be easier when, you know, he can dress himself or go to the bathroom, or when he goes to school, I'll have more time for myself. We're always waiting for some point to arrive to. We're always waiting. For things to finally be content. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a lot of room for contentment in the moment because perfection will never come. Like having things exactly tailored 
to what we would love them to be will never come. So it's a real struggle when a person doesn't have contentment. And I've met a lot of people in my life who live with that continuous lack of rida and contentment. And it's a real struggle. And on the other hand, when you do consciously put in an effort to practice, I, I really believe it's a practice and you have to remind yourself every day I can be content with my life at this point um, in any way, shape or form. And that really puts a lot of peace in yourself. And as a result, you sort of help radiate peace onto those around you. Um, and so that's the really the one thing that's a teaching I really love. And um, that's something I really try to talk about a lot and practice myself. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing. Sister Hella. If you could share a personal or professional situation doing your coaching or counseling work that will teach us more about some of the key concepts or tools that help you shine, what would they be? They would be definitely um, to suspend all judgment. I mean, I've been faced with some challenging, challenging things that have happened in some of my clients' lives that at first, I was like, I don't know if I can take this client on, like in terms of, you know, my personal values. And then I thought, you know what, let me just put my own stuff aside and just focus on the client and just remove myself completely from the equation, which is what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, it, it basically humbled me completely in knowing that the human life, there is no black and white. There's a bunch of things and experiences that shape one's life that have nothing to do with what you perceive as right or wrong, but what works for them. You have to work with them and what works. The questions have had to be shifted. I had to like change my, like not my entire, like, um, you know, thought process, but at the same time, it was just very challenging in the way that um, I had to like you know, handle the situation. And, and at the end, <laughs> the questions I posed were exactly what she needed to, to, to hear. Um, it challenged her. It, cha it was challenging for the both of us. And th th this helped me shine in a way where after this interaction, every time after this interaction, I would literally sit there by myself and like take at least 15 minutes to just think about what just went on, what just transpired. I would read up on whatever issue it is she was going through. I would do research. I would talk to people who were more like um, in tangent with these type of things. And, and, and in turn, that would be like more of my path of seeking more knowledge. If I, if I could summarize real quick, Hella. So what you're saying here is that it's so important to try your best to kind of objectify the person's journey without projecting or kind of you know, placing your own beliefs or conclusions about certain questions or issues that a person has. So that's a very difficult thing to do for anybody who's in a mentoring, counseling, imam, you know, advisor, therapist role, etc. I mean, that's a really hard thing to accomplish. So what's maybe one tip that you can offer us? Um, and, and Sister Monique and Jalen, feel free to chime in on this question. Um, how do you, you know, really start to do that as a professional helper? How do you try your best to put yourself aside so that you can fully engage and empathize with the person's story? Yeah, so number one, I would say is, well, there are different levels of suspending judgment, right? So some, in some cases, it's easier than others. But if it's a case where you feel like you really can't or it's going to affect, like, your relationship, I recommend that we refer the client to somebody else. That's my personal um, um, recommendation. If you feel like we, if you feel like you can handle it, in my case, I felt like this might be a challenge, but I think I might be able to handle it. I was just telling myself, this is not me. This is not my life. This is this person's life. This person is a separate being. All you are is a tool for this person to help progress and move forward and improve the quality of their life. And all I'm, all I am is a means for that person to get to where they want to be. Right. So it's very similar to almost the Dawah of the prophets. You know, their job was to call people to the truth, guide them, set the example. But in the end, you can't, there's no compulsion in religion and people are going to choose what they're going to choose, but you got to do your job as best as you can. Nonetheless. Absolutely. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. Jaylen, anything you'd like to add or? Yes. Well, I was just thinking of what you said about like separating yourself from the clients and families, you know, that I work with. And I remember when I first started working with families one-on-one, I was really heartbroken when, um, when I just saw that some families didn't commit to the plan or the um, agreement or tools that we had sort of discussed that they would be putting in place and weren't as committed in enforcing everything because I was so heartbroken because I thought, you know, I know this is going to work for you. It's going to change your life. It's going to make your life so much better. And this is what you need. But it took such an emotional toll on me uh, because I sort of... Um, I didn't have that separation between myself and a client to a certain extent. I mean, I lo- I literally remember all my clients and all the families that I work with and everything about them. But I did have to put that little separation between uh, myself and some families and just say, okay, I'm here. Like, you know, like Hella and Monique and you said, I'm a tool for you to learn and, um, you know, gain this knowledge and this expertise because I've done the investment and studied it. Um, and when you're ready, I'll be here for you. Maybe you're not ready right now to go like, you know, full on, like I hope you, like I want for you, but at least you're taking some sort of step. And I've sort of had to just be okay with that, that some people are not at the uh, phase in their life where they're ready to take everything in. And it's just a work in progress, but it's, it's still good to see people taking some sort of step to bring more peace into their family life. Yeah. And I mean, for me, from my experience, I've, I mean, I think the best key principle is always to be in the middle. You don't want to be too cold and distant and, you know, clinical, perhaps, because that's sometimes how clinical work is, is perceived. And even, you know, when you look it up, it says like from a clinical, distant, objective perspective of analysis, um, that might be a little too cold. Right. But at the same time, if we totally immerse ourselves and we get consumed and it kind of hijacks our day and our weeks, that's not healthy for the helper. So we need to have, you know, our hearts have to be moved, our minds have to be challenged, um, but we have to kind of be in that middle where it's not totally hijacking our lives. And at the same time, it's not like we never ever think about or feel for our clients outside of the work. I mean, I certainly feel them and and make dot for them and, and they, you know, I'll have insights or things will come up for me because one of the things that I, you know, always try to include is I make dot to Allah to ask, Oh Allah, help me serve your servants. You know, this case or this person is going through a tough time. Help me help them. How do I do that? Because it's okay for us to be stuck once in a while. Again, we don't have all the answers or all the knowledge. And so when we humble ourselves to the source that does have all the knowledge and wisdom and is orchestrating this beautiful theater of life, uh, when we draw on that power within ourselves, I find that it helps us also in our engagement. Um, Yes, definitely. And I also want to add like, when we expose a little bit of our personal stuff to families, like when I, like like I said, I'm a mom of two and I had a lot to deal with with my first. I went through postpartum depression and anxiety and all sorts of things. And parents a lot of times are worried or intimidated about talking to a parenting coach who is a parent because they worry about a lot of judgment. But once I reveal like, you know, hey, I've been there too. And, you know, it's okay to go through all that. It's okay to have your doubts. It's okay to have your off days. Uh, I'm not a perfect parent. I don't claim to be a perfect parent, but I do my best or I try to do my best. And I think that really helps connect when I work with families um, that they feel, oh, okay, you're just, you know, you, you're non-judgmental. You're a normal person. You're a normal mom. You can sort of understand what I'm going through, but still give me advice um, that's, you know, uh, credible. Right. Yeah. And I think we all have to remember whether we're professional helpers or we're on the client end is that we're all humans on this journey together. And I could say, you know, with confidence that everybody has challenges, you know, whether it's health or mental health or emotional or, you know, traumatic. I mean, everybody has gone through stuff. And usually the people that have gone through it learned how to cope, you know, gain the resilience and courage and master those parts of their lives of their past, though they are the best ones fit for helping others go through what they just went through, obviously, right? And that's why it's important for everyone to remember that, you know, not everybody who just, you know, lived with their parents, no offense, and just got their, you know, master's PhD degrees, but never had any real life experience, they never scraped their existential elbows and knees, you know, there's only so much they can go with you, because all their knowledge is still theoretical. And we know that experiential knowledge is what truly transforms more than anything else. 
Sister Jaylan, how about you? So I really remember this one family that I had worked with. I would say I was a bit um, careful about how much to ask p- parents when I talked to them about their you know, personal life and how things were going on in their life. Uh, but with this family, I really just followed my intuition and my gut. Um, they were a family that had just moved countries. Uh, they were at their wit's end with their five-year-old daughter, and they were having daily power struggles, arguments. They were both feeling overwhelmed. They didn't know anyone in their new country. The dad was, you know, working most of the time. The mom really didn't know what to do, you know, with the, that she had left a job. She was trying to look for something else, but she had this load of caring for their daughter. And she just saw that their daughter was becoming this, you know, difficult child to work with uh, and deal with. And, you know, everything was just a power struggle with them. And a lot of times uh, when I work with families, we usually spend a lot of time digging deep into what's really going on with them. And parents have a lot of time to talk to me and tell me like how they're feeling and give me a lot of examples. And that really helps me understand the dynamics of their life and not just um, that misbehavior or acting out or whatever problem situation that they're calling me up for. And I remember with this family, it was really the first time I decided to really just go 100% with my gut and just feel like, oh, something's missing here. Something uh, really needs to be worked on. It's not just what I'm hearing. And finally, we we got to the core issue is that um, the mom had been dealing with a lot of anxiety and had some sort of residual anxiety and some form of uh, trauma and stress from when their daughter was sick when she was a lot younger. I mean, the daughter was fine at this point, but that still lingered with her and made everything feel difficult. Um, so my homework for that mom was just help the parents themselves and their issues with their anxiety or whatever they're going through. And I also really talked to her about scheduling self-care and date night with her husband as part of their monthly schedule, like to sit and look at their calendar and say, okay, this is what we need. This is, this is what I can do this week. This is when we can have our night out. And I think that was my first even before becoming a mom, was my first look into looking at what the parents need for themselves outside the dynamics of being a mom and dad. And that was when I first started including self-care in the work that I do with uh, with families. Um, and the other thing this family was really dealing with was just, I think, something that everyone has struggles with, getting their child sort of cooperate or get out in the morning on time. I think it was one of two uh, pieces of advice I gave them to make their morning easier was to actually give their daughter more time to play. Looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, we can barely get her ready on time without time for playing. And how are we going to get her ready when we're giving her extra time to play? And I was like, listen, the reason she's acting out like this, it, one of the reasons is that she's always trying to leave whatever you're asking her to do And she's trying to escape and go and play. She's trying, you know, not to get dressed, not to have her breakfast, not to get these things done because she wants to go and play because she's a five-year-old, right? Uh, I mean, my son wakes up and the first thing he asks me about in the morning is where are his dinosaurs or where is his monster truck? It's like he's been dreaming of them all night. Oh, we wake up with them in in, in our beds, fish and dinosaurs. He just brings them. (laughs) Yes, of course. That also happens. (laughs) But um, so, I mean, that's something I've learned that a lot of parents um, worry about. They feel like if we give them more cuddles or more time to play or more time to do this for themselves, that means they're just going to ask for more. Kids are going to ask for more and they're not going to get the stuff that needs to be done, you know, done. When in reality, just when kids know that they're going to um, that they don't need to keep on fighting for their playtime or their cuddly time or arguing it just makes everything go so much smoother. And just that and a couple of other things that we talked about really helped. And really what I loved was that it completely changed their perspective and how to sort of deal with their daughter uh, and also how to view their relationship as parents and how, you know, you can try to separate your stress from your child, but you're you cannot, you know, so you really have to take care of yourself first to be able to give back to your family. Thank you so much, Jelen, for your insights. And it's subhanAllah, I mean, there was still the strand of making meaning under all three of your ladies sharing. 
you know, making meaning and recognizing your clients have their own story, their own journey. And that's not always going to be exactly like yours. And sometimes we are these subjective prisoners of ourselves. And we have to, as professional helpers, recognize that there has to be a bit of a separation there so that we can really take this on as a worldview or a truth of another. Um, and then Sister Monique, you were telling us about how going through the journey of transformation itself creates clear meaning that becomes now fully impressed in one's consciousness and nature of, of understanding themselves in the world. And that's also the strand of meaning. And then Sister Jaylen, you told us about how by helping parents shift in their approach and how they construct what is meaningful or excellent parenting, that in and of itself can relieve you and free you of so many, you know, rigid boundaries or pursuits of systems that we forget that it's also just about human connection and that play and fun is part of the harmony of a full human experience. Yes, that's so true. Exactly. Play and fun are also the core of a child experience. Well, ladies, it's been wonderful hearing all your insights. And I've been asking all of you a lot of questions to help the audience get to know more about the wonderful team we have at Noor. Now you guys get the lovely opportunity to ask Karim, the founder of Noor, anything you want. I really <laughs> want to ask you. <laughs> are, are, are you scared of being interviewed? <laughs> Who's brave enough to go first? I can. All right. Let's do it, Sister Hela. As the founder of Noor, and, you know, you built up this business. It's been, uh, you know, many years coming. And mashallah, it's been something great. And thank you for expanding and adding us to your team. So I wanted to ask you, what was probably, I mean, you've probably seen a lot of challenging, um, you know, clients or, or people that you've coached in the past. Um, what What is it? that most, I would say, maybe has anything shaken your core, like forced you to really step out of your comfort zone or out of your value system to, to, to help the other person in a way where you never thought you would do before? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me just say that at this point, nothing shocks me or surprises me anymore. You know, like I think, I feel like I've heard so many different stories that there's no more, you know, oh my God, that came out of left field. Like, I mean, I feel like I've engaged with all kinds of content, darker energies, you know, for example, gin, uh, black magic being involved in some situations. So we're getting into, let's say more supernatural things that sometimes happen. I'm not an expert in that. I mean, I usually pull in people that I know who can help with those things. But I've also witnessed stuff like that, which was, I would say one of the most uncomfortable situations was I witnessed, uh, you know, a jinn presence in this individual start to take over his personality. Oh my God. And I, I used to have, I used to have video sessions with this person. I even recorded one of them just for my own, you know, proof and, and evidence. And, uh, that's one that really made me uncomfortable, but to get a little more grounded, I would say the first case where I worked with a young man who had same sex attraction the first time I ever, you know, got exposed to this uh, journey. And that was the time where I started learning a lot more about it. And uh, since then, you know, I've worked with a, you know, handful of, of males who had same sex attraction. And just understanding more about the psychology of that, and the experiences that could uh, play an influence in our nature and nurture and how our sexuality, our feminine and masculine energies take root in the self. That was a very interesting um, kind of eye-opener and heart-opener for me, um, getting more into that space. That's my response for now. I hope that answers your question, Hela. It does. And I also think it's great to have this medium or this space that all kinds of groups of people can come and speak comfortably without fear of judgment, knowing that, you know, we're, it's a safe space where we embrace you with open arms, no matter what, like a society or you know, majority of the people say and the stigma attached to these things, like there needs to be more, uh, a more welcoming attitude surrounding um, these issues. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, anything that's unknown or you're not experienced in, you know, you're going to feel uncomfortable, right? Of course. But, you know, part of my vision for Noor, inshallah, is to have, like you said, this kind of one-stop shop where members of our community, can come to a place online 
where they can find practitioners and helpers with all kinds of specialties. Like I hope one day to have somebody who specializes in, you know, maybe more of the supernatural stuff that happens because this stuff is real, right? Or people who specialize in, you know, women's studies or parenting and, and coming from that feminine perspective because obviously there's only so much I can do in that department. So that's why, you know, mashallah, I'm so grateful to have all of you involved and hopefully we'll get... Um, other practitioners with different expertise. And that way it's like whether you need to get a consultation with a psychiatrist or you want some motivating coaching from one of our, you know, empowered sisters or you're a startup family or you want to get through, you know, a time of difficulty and and trauma or you're a convert. You know, right now we have um, helpers that have gone through it and have studied and are willing to help those who are about to go through it. If you had uh, one piece of advice for new Muslims or born Muslims that are just now beginning to practice, what would that advice be? Oh, great question. I did a lot of convert care um, since I was in college. And I would say one of the biggest piece of advice is um, remember that the Muslims don't necessarily reflect Islam and what Allah and his messenger have you know, sent us or demonstrated. Uh, number two, if, especially if you're a female, do not get married right away. I think sometimes Muslim women, they're like, oh, mashallah, Islam is so beautiful. And if I just marry a Muslim man, you know, I'm going to get all that life, right? Or he's going to automatically be living up to the model of the Prophet, and that's not always the case. And sometimes, you know, women are taken advantage of in those vulnerable situations, especially if they come from different countries or cultures. So I would advise Muslim women to take at least two years to learn your deen and understand the Quran and the Sunnah and the tradition as best as possible and find imams and scholars male or female that you find you know give you intellectually and spiritually stimulating responses not based on your ego or your personal desire or agenda but based on what you know the quran actually teaches and you know it's not hard to know what is um uh you know known in the deen by the majority just like you ask any christian right? It does, is the devil more powerful than God? No Christian who understands their religion is going to say, yes, the devil is more powerful than God. Every Christian knows God is the one who, this is his kingdom. So, you know, similarly, you'll find in Islam, today you have sometimes people saying things that aren't rooted in the tradition or have a, you know, opposite uh, outcome or, or, or conclusion. So this would, this would be my advice to converts is seek knowledge, don't get married right away. Feel grounded in your relationship with Allah and his messenger first and foremost. And then you can consider starting to build a family. Secondly, if your local masjid or community seems like it's very cultural or ethnocentric, even though it might be difficult to adjust, um, you know, work with what you have, but also, you know, trust that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will connect you with the right people or community um, when you ask him and continue in your seeking of knowledge. Yeah, that and so many of those points that you made, you know, I can look back at my journey so far and absolutely see, you know, how this uh, affected me or affected other, you know, new Muslims that I've worked with, you know, but I 100% agree with all of that, you know, slow down, focus on your knowledge, uh, Please, please study the dean, not just the people within the dean, because absolutely you have to learn to separate that culture from Islam. Absolutely. I saw a bumper sticker once. It's hilarious. It said, oh, God, save me from your followers. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, people. That's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah, because yeah, it's unfortunate. It's like, and I'm, I've met converts who say, thank God I learned about Islam thoroughly before I started inter- integrating with the Muslim community. And that's, you know, look, that's a reminder for us Muslims who are born Muslim or are kind of finding our way back to the path, you know, that our, you know, experiences and repertoire and our own projections or our lack of, you know, graduating beyond Sunday school Islam. And then we're just making all these converts kind of become Pakistani or Arab. And then we think that that conflation is what it means to be Muslim. No, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, Islam is the universal religion for all ages and all people and cultures. Therefore, it's not about enculturating human beings. It's not about everybody becoming Arab per se. It's just that if the Prophet was German or Japanese, naturally you're going to have a German or Japanese flavor to the religion, right? Just like Roman Catholicism. I mean, it's very Italian, right? It was the Roman Empire that took the Semitic religion and re-expressed it through their power, political power structure. That's what we got, how we got Roman Catholicism. And so, you know, all religions are going to have a cultural flavor. The point is that 
Islam, one scholar said it you know, beautifully. He said, Islam is like a clear stream of water. And whatever riverbanks it happens to flow through, it's going to reflect the colors of that soil or those rocks or that vegetation. And that's not the problem. The pro- we just want to keep the water stream clean and clear as far as taste and smell. That's Islam. But it can take on the colors and shades of its people. No problem. I love that analogy. How about you, Sister Jilan? Do you have a question? So my question has to do a little bit with your childhood. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's nothing, nothing too private. So I think most of the families I work with um, are families that have, you know, come from Arab countries or other Muslim-majority countries and are struggling with how to raise their children in the West. How do they keep that balance of having those Muslim values while also, you know, um, keeping Western values, you know, that align with Islam um, and our values as Muslims. And my question to you is, you know, what what has been the biggest sort of maybe piece of advice or experience or just daily ritual that you've experienced growing up that has helped you reach this balance as an adult where you can confidently be a practicing Muslim, but still sort of be seamless, you know, in a Western society and just be part of it. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's such a big question. But I mean, the short answer is, and I'd say it's also rooted in why I went into the work that I went into, because I kind of felt like I needed what we're trying to do for everybody now. Right. A place where you can speak to a professional or someone older, more experienced and seasoned that has, you know, love of our religion, understanding of the relative cultural context and has that personal, you know, touch. Right. So, I mean, look, when I was growing up, I I still remember when I was a kid, like, you know, playing outside all the time with friends. And and my mom once said to me, she's like, these are your friends, but, you know, we're still they're ghurab, right? They're, you know, they have a stranger or different culture, right? In, in other words, there was this kind of, we want to preserve our culture and our heritage, which I totally understand. I mean, I always say, if any of us had to move to China right now and live in a country where nobody practices our religion or speaks our language, we're probably going to get pretty uptight about our values and language and way of being a family, right? Because we are now dealing with an environment that's totally different. So I remember my mom saying this to me and I said back to her, because I was always kind of a, wise guy, you know, I said, Mom, we're the strangers, you know, and I knew that when I was seven, I'm like, we're the ones that are, you know, the oddballs here, because I recognize from a young age, that the society we're in is very different from the society or culture I have at home. And so there was always this tension. And I want to say that I went through many phases, like kind of my Islam was more of a cultural expression for a while, then I kind of cracked through that in college and tried to really discover, you know, what you may call a pure Islam an Islam that is above all the cultural, political, historical impact. And then later I recognized that's impossible to actually achieve. And there's no such thing as pure Islam. There is only what Allah and his messenger brought. And then there is how nations and and cultures have expressed that and integrated it into their historical heritage over time. And that's kind of how I see it today is we have to recognize that all humanity are the different colors of this rainbow of, as the Christians say, God's children, if you will, right? In that symbolic sense, it's like we all come from the same family. And subhanAllah, whenever we humans are in a time of helplessness or need, we're able to go past your this culture, you're a different religion, you believe this or you're that, you're, you know, and all of a sudden you just see the human who's trembling in need. And I think that fundamentally, when we remember we are all creatures in need, we are bonding creatures, we're, we're social mammals, and that we all essentially come from the same set of parents, right? Um, you know, nationalism and race and ethnicity, these are all human constructs of the dunya. But what does Allah tell us? That we come from the same family. He created us into nations and tribes. Why? To come to know one another, to connect. And we're supposed to benefit from that, guys, right? Like the different foods we like to eat, the different strategies in, in you know, whatever, marketing, clothing, you know, expressions of poetry, art. Why do we appreciate different cultures? Why do we travel? We want to see how other people have expressed their hearts and consciousness and other lessons that other nations have gone through. And we learn 
and gain from our interactions. So I feel like fundamentally, when we see life and humanity in this way, and Islam as a path to God, ultimately, and a toolkit to understand that in a healthy and balanced way, that's, I think, one of the first principles that we have to perhaps, you know, um, internalize to succeed, inshallah. But that's just my opinion. No, I, I really love that because that's really looking at a more spiritual level of being a Muslim and that helps guide your everyday um, interactions with other people who could be different from you. And I think that's what a lot of uh, families uh, I work with worry about is like, how do we sort of protect our children from people who have different values or do things differently? But in the end, when we see that every person, however different they are from us, um, still brings something to the table in terms of positivity or learning, even if it's a lesson that, you know, okay, maybe this isn't for me, that's still a lesson learned. And I think when we teach our kids, like you're saying, to approach that uh, or approach different interactions and encounters with that mindset, um, then they always go away with some knowledge or some positivity uh, from that encounter. And they're not afraid of um, interacting with others who are different. And we as parents then can let go of that fear and need for control of always monitoring our kids because we can sort of trust that we've instilled in them um, this really, um, you know, reflective mindset of how to deal with difference. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Absolutely. And just to just to validate my mom, she's a wonderful person and she had never had a problem with me, you know, interacting with different people. My 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 friends growing up were from all backgrounds, you know, and but of course, my 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 parents and I think it's good advice for all of us is there's a difference between, you know, allowance for everything and then allowance for what is still within the hudud of Islam, right? In other words, my parents would never say, oh yeah, go to a party where there's alcohol because you need to learn about nation, the different nations and tribes and activities. No, but, you know, they always let me explore. I've always been a person who was you know, fascinated by people. Since a young age, my parents told me I would always be talking to people on airplanes and, you know, making relationships with random people. I was just a very social person. And till today, I really love learning about different cultures. I'm in a multicultural marriage. My kids speak three different languages. Um, I appreciate and take from all different cultures because I see it as Allah created and chose everyone who exists. And that means that everybody has value and honor. And if we're not extracting that, then we're, we're focusing on the darker lens, which I think comes from, you know, the forces of evil that want us to separate, to rupture connection, to have despair and hopelessness, to have that competitive nature. And we don't see it as altruistic, but no, I'm going to throw you under the bus if it means I'm going to lose my job. And this, and this is now where the nefs and the grap, grappling of that dunya um, has to now uh, take place, right? Is, am I willing to sacrifice my virtue and integrity and my akhirah for the dunya? And that's a very challenging thing that I think a lot of us, you know, have to reconcile at many points in our life because there's a wonderful saying that says, if you want to marry the dunya, remember that her mahar or her bridal gift is the akhirah. So that's the sacrifice, you know? So for me, it's about how do we live more God-centric? And, you know, there's always going to be people that don't agree with you. There's always going to be people within your community, like intra-ummah, that are like, oh, you're not Muslim enough, or you're too strict, or you're this or you're that. And look, in the end of the day, if you're living your path for the sake of Allah, Islam is a path to Allah. It's not a path to itself. It's not a path to get a greater social repertoire with your community. It's about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the moment you take your last breath, your accountability begins. It doesn't matter. You know, if everyone else outlives you. And that's the point, guys, is our life is measured by breaths. Nobody here is guaranteed another 50 years. And in 100 years, I could say confidently, all four of us won't even be here. So what are we doing with our time? And how are we making the most of it for that meeting that there is no escape on Yom Al-Qiyamah? May Allah make us uh, worthy and, and inherit His grace. Amin, Ya Rabbi. Ya Rabbi, Amin. Any other questions, ladies? No, no that was great. Thank you. 
Alhamdulillah. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for those lovely questions. And inshallah, we'll be doing more episodes like this to keep the engine running. I would like to close by hearing from each of our lovely providers one tip or key concept that they would like to offer the audience to improve in their lives today. Sister Hala, what do you got for us? First, before I give any tips, I would like I would like to just state up front that um, I'm not a clinical therapist and I don't claim to be. And there were occasions where um, some clients had some deep seated issues where a, a mental health therapist was needed and it went beyond my expertise, like way beyond my expertise. So I had to refer them to someone else who was more focused in that. So I guess the first tip I would say is um, don't be ashamed. If you don't know something, just say you don't know. It's better than helping someone that will not benefit from you at all. So just always keeping in mind that there is a limit to how much you can help. I don't want to claim that I'm anyone's savior because I'm definitely not. Lord knows how much help I need to give myself. The And another piece of advice I would give is for me, it would be to try your best to always be aware and thankful that we are here and we are helpful and we are trying our best. And also at the same time, knowing that it's counterproductive for something to happen where you're trying to help someone else, but at the same time, you're hurting yourself. Like there's this saying that says, do not be a candle, like giving light to others while burning yourself. I think that it's 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 fair both um, emotionally, mentally, and physically speaking for our health to make sure that we're okay before we help others. And if others are not going to make us okay, then that's just not okay. Then we just need to separate ourselves from that situation. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Absolutely. No, I love that sharing. So I'm hearing you say... Um... It's okay if you're not fully, you know, ready or trained or qualified to help another. That's part of the knowledge and humility to say, look, I don't know, but what I can do is help you get the help that you need. And that's one of the things that we try to do at Nuit is if your needs are beyond our scope, we try to refer you to Psychology Today or some other, you know, Muslim uh, therapist uh, databases that we have on our website under the resources tab. And Sister Hela, you're also mentioning here that it's very important for the helper to have balance and self-care or else they won't be able to give what they don't possess themselves. And that's actually, I think, a, one of the most powerful motivators of doing this type of work, ladies, is we've got to walk our own talk. And it, I found that just being a counselor and coach for Muslims and especially, you know, bringing Islam and spirituality into that, you know, self-development also makes me, you know, want to be a better believer and and in my pursuit of my relationship to the divine because I have to be more filled with Allah's knowledge and wisdom. You have to have your own valve of release, replenishment, and um, reboot. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Sister Monique. So uh, I definitely want to second um, something that both of you were saying. It brought to mind uh, a quote. I cannot remember who said this, um, but it's it's very short, but it makes, you know, a lot of sense. They said, hurt people, hurt people. Uh, so you have to have a comma in there. But, you know, these people, like if you don't have self-care, um, if you're letting all of this weigh down on you and, you know, your emotions are starting to feel more difficult, you know, you are at a, a less ability to help others. And, and a lot of times people that have, you know, uh, some emotional struggles and things going on, they don't realize it. But because of that inner hurt, they're putting that on other people and hurting others. Um, so that self-awareness and that self-care, you know, I would definitely advocate for that. Um, so I want to pull from, I mentioned gratitude earlier. Um, so just to give, you know, it, it's an easy tip. It, it's something that I think everybody could do every day. Um, it's something that I do myself. Um, so in the effort of trying to increase that gratitude in life, um, you know, every night um, before going to bed, and again, I do this myself, think of five specific things that you are grateful for that day. Not just saying alhamdulillah to hit a number, really think of five specific examples, something that happened, something you did, something you know that you witnessed even, and really think in your mind about that moment and how it affected you, you know, and say alhamdulillah with sincerity, you know, really meaning I'm really grateful for this and how it impacted me. Jazakallahu khair, jazakallahu khair, Sister Monique. Sister Jaylan. I love everything uh 
you and Helen Monique have said, and especially what Helen was saying about making time to bring positive people around you. And if something doesn't serve you to keep it at bay. And what Monique was saying about focusing specifically on positive situations, we actually just started doing that with my son recently. So it's great. You can also try that with kids as well. Um, and he ha I mean, he really likes it. So uh, we try to share that as a family. And just to touch on also a bit to what both of you said, uh, I just want to sort of connect the thread and uh, also connect back to what I was talking about earlier about having a contentment and riddle as a parent. And my piece of advice for parents who have young kids and find every day to be a struggle would be to try and schedule some one-on-one -on -one time with your child every day. And it might sound uh, strange to put that in a schedule because we think, oh, we're, we're around our kids all the time. But actually, how much of that time is really spent, like, connecting with them? You know, not looking at our phones, not checking the laundry or answering someone uh, someone's questions or looking at something else and just being around them. But it's really a connection, a moment of connection. And what I feel that really does is sort of replenishes your cup uh, as a mom or as a father, and just makes you enjoy that little moment. You're not asking anything and thinking, okay, they're not cooperating, or I'm tired and I'm struggling. You're just enjoying that moment. And I think that really fills your cup of riddle and contentment where you're like, oh, this is why I decided to be a mom or a dad. You know, it's these little moments where, you know, like today my daughter was, uh, she's almost two, and she and her brother, who was almost five, they were like, in our balcony and watering uh, the little plants. And that was the first time they've done this week. And it was just a moment where I stood there and I said, this is a nice moment, alhamdulillah, you know, this is just refilled my cup of feeling, okay, now I have patience <laughs> to deal with the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of it's the It's all evening. worth it now, mashallah. It's, <laughs> it's all worth it, yes. It was like, this. it's all worth it. This is, you know, it's this moment that I was thinking of in my mind when we decided to try and go for two kids instead of one. And it just really helped me think, okay, this has been a good day. This moment has made it a good day. And this is my moment of contentment in my day to day. So that would be my piece of advice. MashaAllah. Thank you so much, ladies, for all your wonderful insights. Audience, thanks for listening. Our motto is think brilliant, feel brighter, and do better. Visit nudehuman.com to learn more and take advantage of our limited time Eid promotion. We're offering exceptional rates if you sign up today. Don't fall back into old habits after Ramadan. Keep your spiritual and personal growth going, and we are ready and dedicated to help you do so. Thanks again for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem.